That is Stephen Curtis Chapman. Don't lose hearts here on Moody Radio. It is four minutes after the hour. Don Stephen, the morning is rejoined by Dr. Michael Rydelnik. He's a professor, dean, host of Open Line, author of a ton of books, including the 50 Most Important Bible Questions, here to take your questions about the Bible at 800-555-7898. You can call or text those in this morning. Morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. great. Good. Good. Well, we've got yeah. a bit of a, I think, a follow-up question to something that we were talking about last week, and uh, we talked about praying for peace in Jerusalem. And David texted in from Kentucky, and he's asking this question. If you pray for peace in Jerusalem, are you not ultimately praying for the onset of the kingdom reign? I mean, can't this only happen after the tribulation? Well, think about it. Uh, people have been praying for the peace of Jerusalem for thousands of years, and the kingdom hasn't come. So it's okay to pray for what we would call an interim peace, a, a time of quiet and rest, because we don't know when the Lord will return. We don't know when the kingdom will begin. And so, yes, I, I happen to believe that a permanent, uh, quiet uh, peace will not take place uh, in uh, uh, until the uh, uh, the messianic kingdom. However, uh, the the on the other hand, there's a uh, uh, the idea that one day when you know we recognize that there will be an eternal millennial peace and also a uh, an eternal peace in the new creation. So it's okay to pray for temporary peace. We're to be peacemakers today. You know, mm-hmm. blessed are the peacemakers. So in all those ways, I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about my own life. That's, that's usually yeah. my prayer. Lord, <laughs> peace, please, please. Yeah. So, and obviously that's, that's a, a good question. And thank you for the answer. Wakisa, you sent in through our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the morning, this question about creation and If the Lord, let me just read what you said. How did a perfect God create an imperfect human being, but in his own image? He didn't create an imperfect human being. He created a human being uh, uh, who who had untested creaturely holiness. I think that's a a good way uh, of looking at it untested creaturely holiness and uh he failed the test so he created him fully and also we're still even though we've sinned we're still made in his image that's repeated even after the fall of adam and eve so uh it may have marred the image of god but it didn't destroy it we're still made in god's image and so he made us uh if he had made us so that we could not choose if he had made adam and eve where they could not choose to obey him or disobey him, then he would have been creating robots, and it would have been just like a computer. You know, uh, I, I can work really well with my computer, but I can't make it love me. Yeah, I can't make it uh, choose to obey me. And so God made humanity with with an a moral responsibility to Him, and that's that's what that's about. Mm. And so, if God, uh, you know, created us to have this relationship with him and sin has separated us. And scripture talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. Is it God who then says, okay, 
I am going to bring you from that uh, being dead in relationship with me into new life with me. Do, do, do we as humans play any part in our salvation? Well, here's what I, I think is really important, that God always wanted to restore humanity, and he began immediately with Adam and Eve to do that. But ultimately, what he did is he sent the Messiah, who took the punishment for all sin, paid the penalty we deserve, was raised again, and uh, then uh, when that happened, uh, he, he, now our responsibility is to trust in Jesus. It's not a work. It's just a, like acceptance of a gift. It's, it's not earning a gift. It's acceptance of it. Uh, so uh, I think that that's what trust is. I, I believe that if I can... If, that, if I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again, my sins are forgiven. So no, uh, it's not a, a thing we do or a work we do, but just an acceptance of what the Lord Jesus did. As many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, is what John, how John puts it, even those who believe, trusted in his name. Of the many hats that Dr. Michael Rydelnik wears, one of them, the host of Open Line Radio every Saturday morning on Moody. And joining us on this Monday, you have a question about the Bible, 800-555-7898. You can call or text, or you could do what Bernie, you did from Iowa this morning and put it on our Facebook page. Coming back with Bernie's question about the Lord's Supper on Moody Radio. Remember to find us on Facebook at Dawn and Steve in the Morning. Why not send your question for Dr. Idonic via Facebook? Well, that's exactly what you did, Bernie. You put it right there. And it's interesting because this conversation was part of a conversation I had this weekend about the Lord's Supper. And Bernie, you're asking about leavened bread versus unleavened bread and fermented wine as opposed to grape juice. Uh, we know that the yeast in the Old Testament symbolized that uh, something we were supposed to stay away from. And so leavened bread now entering into some of our communion uh, worshiping experiences where they're just tearing chunks of bread off and serving it as um, part of the Lord's Supper. So thoughts on leavened bread and real wine? There's so much in there, okay? (laughs) First of all, uh, you are expected to drink wine even though... uh, People think, oh, it's fermented wine. That's uh, it shouldn't be fermented. I've heard a lot of Christians say, oh no, at Passover, Jews did not drink fermented wine. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, the it's you may not have uh, leaven from grains, barley, wheat. It's not referring to fruit, grapes. The fruit of the vine is okay. So yes, they did indeed drink wine. However, with the Lord's Supper, it doesn't matter if it is. As long as it is uh, a red grape or, or purple, what we would call red mm-hmm. grape juice or wine, that is acceptable. Uh, because here's what I mean. Symbols have meaning. It was the blood red color of the wine that the Lord Jesus uses. It's a symbol. It's not really his blood, but the symbol of the blood red wine makes perfect sense no matter how it is, uh, whether it's fermented or not. Uh, the other thing is the matzah. The symbols have meaning, and I know that there are a lot of people that think, oh, any kind of bread will do. But in my opinion, 
matzah is what makes sense. And the reason is, why did the Lord Jesus choose a piece of matzah to say, this is my body? Well, a piece of matzah has no leaven, leaven being a symbol of sin. Okay, so mm-hmm. unleavened in that sense. Uh, also, to keep it from rising, uh, it was uh, pierced with with an mm-hmm. awl back mm-hmm. in the first century, mm-hmm. but now with machines, but it's pierced. Uh, it's uh, it's also striped. It's the piercings are done in stripes, so you have stripes on it. So it's pierced and striped, and when it cooks, it gets bumpy. It's bruised, and so when you when he held up that piece of matzah and said, "This is my body," everyone could see the symbol of it that he would be pierced and bruised and striped for our sins with a Roman whip, uh, and so it it makes perfect sense to use a piece of matzah. So when, when we use, I think symbols have meaning and the symbol mm-hmm. should reflect what it was intended to reflect. Uh, now, of course, I don't think, I'm not a legalist. Uh, there are people who use other kinds of breads for Lord's Supper, and I just encourage them to consider using matzah. Mm. Bernie, appreciate uh, mm-hmm. your question this morning and that uh, explanation, I think, and your answer is uh, really insightful and helpful there. Sherry is uh, texting in from Chicago and has a question uh, as it relates to something that she came across in reading through her one-year Bible. It's the story of Joseph when he tests his brothers. In Genesis forty-four fifteen. he says, don't, um, don't you know a man like me can find out things by divination? That's where he finds the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. She says, that sounds like something that Christians are forbidden to do. Can you help me understand this? Well, he had the, the cup placed in Benjamin's sack, so he didn't learn of it by divination. Yeah. He, he was just saying that to explain to the brothers how it was that he knew. It wasn't claiming divination. It was just a story that, that he was uh, saying, because that's what they would have expected of an Egyptian pagan. So it's it's not saying he did it. It's just that's his explanation to them. Uh, it's not, uh, I find it amazing that anyone would think who read the story that he was using divination because it clearly says that he had it placed in Benjamin's sack. Mm-hmm. So. Not divination, but would you say he was using deception and then would there be a problem potentially with that? Well, I think that he was testing his brothers and that was the the greater good and he didn't really he didn't say he used divination to know. He just said, don't you know I can, which he probably could if if he had chosen to do that. So, uh, no, I don't think that was a problem. Good questions, though. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate all of the ones that are coming in. 800-555-789. You know, what I think is, is kind of funny, he was doing it for their good, ultimately, mm-hmm. to test them. Yeah. And, you know... If you had a surprise party like I did once for my brother-in-law and I told him that my plumbing in my toilet was overflowing and I needed help and he came over and my toilet was fine and I, he opened the door and we all sh- he had a plunger in one hand and his boots in the, on and th- I opened the door and everyone shouted surprise. He didn't say, you lied to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I so appreciate uh, your questions coming in this morning and your time this morning, Michael, helping us understand uh, God's Word a little bit better. By the way, if you ever come across a passage of Scripture that's kind of got you scratching your head, jot that down. Make note of that. On Mondays, Michael joins us just about every Monday to take your Bible questions. 
He's a professor, dean at Moody Bible Institute. He's the host of Open Line every Saturday morning where he answers your Bible questions. And his book entitled The 50 Most Important Bible Questions. And a lot of your questions may be answered in that book. So you can check that out as well. It is Don and Steve in the Morning on Moody Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Dawn and Steve in the Morning on Moody Radio. And we're glad you're with us and glad to welcome Buck Storm. He's joining us for the next few minutes here. He's a recording artist, touring musician. He's written a ton of great songs and has written books as well. And spending a, a few minutes talking about a book he's written entitled The Light. And, and Buck, you cover something in here that I think a lot of people kind of resonate and can identify with. We want to be known. We want people to see us. We want uh, to to people to see that, oh, there is value in each individual life here. And we want to be known deep down. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of what was going on in your heart and mind as, as you began to address this idea in your book. Sure. You, you know, um, I had started this series. I was approached by a ministry to uh, write a novel um, called The List uh, a while back, which dealt with just prof- prophetic, uh, just the prophetic um, kind of intellectual journey to Christ uh, with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. These two guys that would have understood, you know, these. I mean, this is like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump coming together to uh, take Jesus's body off the cross. So something happened there that that uh, um, something bigger than them happened. And so I thought that was a fascinating, uh, fascinating book to write. I, I was on a deadline for another book. I said no at first. I wound up writing that book. And, and in it, we chronicled um, tons of scripture, uh, tons of prophecy. Uh, that actually pointed that the Jewish elite would have known at the time that pointed them to uh, Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Jesus Yeshua, as the Christ. But I was not really satisfied leaving that book because for a lot of people, there is this intellectual journey, this intellectual, um, you know, that's their that's their path to Jesus. It's an intellectual thing. I know a lot of people like that. It wasn't my necessary uh, journey. Um, you know, I've got a, a really good friend, Randy Stonehill. He wrote a, a song called Broken Places. And uh, I love his, I love that song. In the chorus says, I'll meet you in the broken places. And that's what, that's what Jesus did to me. And I think that's what Jesus does to so many people. We're so broken at times. How can we have this intellectual uh, uh, process? You know, we're, we're too crushed. We're, we've been run over by the train of life. And so I wanted to uh, write another book that, that while it still carried through this prophetic um, uh, truth, that uh, there was a little more of a, of a heart bow in it. And so that's kind of how that came to be. I mean, we live in a culture today, and this is, this is what I, I see everywhere I go. I mean, we're screaming for identity, and then and, and the world is telling us we have none, you know? In the church, we're tithing units, you know, in, in politics, we're a voting block. In the DMV, we're a number, you know, and this is why our daughters are, are uh, you know, selling their virtue for likes on, on you know, Instagram, TikTok. And, and in the worst case scenario, our, our sons are carrying rifles to school. You know, uh, they want somebody to say, hey, they want somebody to notice them. And so I wanted to see that. And I, I wanted to write that because we do have value it, to, to Jesus. We are so valuable. We're so loved. I mean, it's overwhelming. That's the, been the experience in my life. You know, I never deserve it ever, ever, I never deserve it, but he has crashed into my world so many times and picked me up out of the dirt that I wanted to write a book like that. 
Buckstorm, many of us are meeting you for the very first time, but some of our Moody Radio family has uh, has heard you speak before. You mentioned your story and how God has met you in some dark, dark places. Give us a little background. Who is Buckstorm? How did you come to faith in Jesus? Well, I, you know, I grew up in the church, uh, but I'm, I'm really good at running. And I spent a lot of my early life running. I was, you know, in the music world. And, and uh, um, I mean, the short version is um, my wife is so faithful. She asked me to go to a, a bookstore and buy a book for my mom uh, a Christian, in a Christian bookstore. And I was I was pretty out there at the time. And it, the book was called No Compromise by a guy named Keith Green. He has probably heard of the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember walking in there. I'll make this quick. And it's one of the first times in my life I actually really felt not a heard an audible voice, but I knew that God was telling me, you know, you need to read this. And I heard it so loudly that I, I left. I walked around and walked out of the store. Um, probably six months I wrestled with that. Went back and bought it. I sat in the parking lot of, of uh, the Santa Barbara Harbor and I read the whole book. And he was playing in bars in LA that I I could smell. I knew the places. And that that, that was the start of of, of Christ cra- really crashing into my life and really getting a hold of me. Um, and uh, yeah, it was funny, man. I, I wound up um, getting so enamored with Christ that the band I was in at the time had, a, instead of a drug intervention, they had a Jesus intervention with me and told me <laughs> I had to knock it off. And, but you know, it hasn't stopped. And uh, not that I'm a, I can't, I can't call myself a great Christian. I, I'm probably a horrible cultural Christian, but I know who Jesus is, you know? And so that's, that's kind of the short version. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a, I think one that resonates so well with all of us, because we know Jesus crashed into our world at some point and probably in all of his grace is continually picking us up day after day as we serve him. Buck Storm is with us today, not only a musician and a traveling artist, but an award-winning author making his home in Coeur d'Alene. Shout out to our family there in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho this morning. More about not only this book, his new book called The Light, but how Jesus has taught him and brought him for (laughs) my rhyming world into this marvelous light that he talks about in this book. It is Dawn and Steve in the morning. You can connect with Buck Storm when you head on over to our Facebook page or text us. Facebook is easy. It's at Dawn and Steve in the morning. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the morning. On YouTube today, Ginger Dagavolo's interview drops at 1046 Central Time. And it's going to be insightful for becoming free indeed. Click the bell and subscribe at youtube.com forward slash at Dawn and Steve to be reminded when it drops. Continuing the conversation with Buck Storm as well, and that will eventually make it to YouTube. We're talking about, Buck, your new book called The Light. And now, fascinating to me as a Christian fiction consumer, it's hard sometimes to find good Christian fiction because we're either leaving the word out or we the word of God, or we are just kind of trying to make it a, a secular book, but we're cleaning it up to make it. I mean, you know, there's a place for all that, but you find it important to look at biblical accuracy, cultural, historical accuracy. I so love and appreciate that. Why is that important to you? Well, especially if you're going to write about the Bible, you know, a, a story that takes place in a biblical setting, why not get it right? You know, um, I, I and, and, you know, you talk about uh, you know, scripture. I, when I was a kid, my first introduction really to scripture was my grandpa either reading or telling me stories. He loved to tell me for stories from the Old Testament. And and my grandpa would tell them that I, I realized very quickly this was not a, a PG-13 book. You know, this is a, this is sometimes <laughs> rated R. 
He loved to tell you, you know, Jezebel getting her, her body eaten by dogs and then send you to bed. You know, that's what my, that my <laughs> grandpa, did. but, and so I thought, Hey, if I'm, if I'm going to write this, let's do it right. You know? Um, and, and you look at, uh, some of the books I love, you know, um, uh, Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove is a great example. You know, you've got the, the brutality and innocence of the old West, and that's practically a character in the book. Um, uh, Robert McLean Wilson's Bell, um, Eureka Street, Belfast, the same thing. I wanted Jerusalem to be uh, akin to that in this book. It was in, when doing research, which I did a ton. Uh, you find out that Jerusalem, Jerusalem at the time, Israel, what a what a magnificent backdrop to write against. I mean, this is it was unbelievable, an unbelievable place. You know, the Temple Mount, the greatest, the, the largest man-made platform in the world at the time. You know, this was a, an amazing, amazing place. I could I could talk about Jerusalem in the first century forever. Um, so, but uh, you know, and, and if you're going to use the words of Jesus, why not use the words of Jesus? You know, if, if Jesus said them in a certain place, why not have them said in a certain place? To me, that this is it's kind of a it's a no-brainer because the story doesn't lack anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's such the, the, the story of the sacrificial lamb. I mean, we love it's, it's, it's a, it's a story of love, you know? And so I said, I just thought, let's get it right. You know, culturally, history, his, historically, you know, dug a lot into the Jewish culture in the first century, much different than the Jewish culture today. I've been to Israel many, many times and, uh, and to dig into that first century culture, amazing history, you know, the brutality of Rome, the, the coercion and the, uh, the hard, the hard handedness of the Jewish elite at the time. It's just an amazing place to write a book. You know, I spent a lot of time in first century Jerusalem and I was lucky to get out alive. Yeah, <laughs> very, very cool. You know, I, I think audiences do resonate with fiction in, in general, but I know that there are some who would say, you know, if we're going to, in a sense, be talking about Scripture and if we're going to be talking about the Bible and the authority of God's Word and all those kinds of things, why a fiction book? What do you think is the role of Christian fiction, whether it be uh, a novel like this, or even maybe taking you know biblical truth and bringing it to a screen like like the chosen is done. What do you think it is about um, Christian fiction that we're kind of resonating with? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, selfishly, I'm a novelist at heart. You know, uh, I, I heard a guy say, uh, you know, who, who is what is jazz? Who is jazz music written for? Uh, the listener or the player? And and the teacher said it, it's written for the listener, but the player is the first listener, you know. And uh, and for me, writing's kind of the same way. I'm I'm a sucker for fiction. I love story, but you know we're human beings, you know. And and we've been telling stories around the campfire, and that turned into you know the written word, and, and you know stone tablets, then 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 you know papyrus, then paper, and uh, and now we we tell it on you know in film and, and in so many ways. But the story is just a, a very very powerful medium. You know, you mentioned the chosen. Uh, look look at the impact that show is having or you know i mean uh you know i started the list before the chosen and then the chosen came out and i was a little bit skeptical because i'd done so much research then my wife said oh we got to watch it we got to watch it i'm like no i'm going to be just a, i'm going to be a jerk and i'm going to pick it apart you know <laughs> and then i wound up watching a couple episodes and i thought what a great job they did about drawing people to the uh, the love and gentleness of christ and yeah. and i've heard so many stories of, of that fictional account opening up people's hearts and so yeah, I mean, God has used story forever. Jesus used parables. I mean, it's just that's yep. just it's it's built into our DNA. Well, if you are looking for some great Christian fiction, go check out Buck Storm. He's written a book entitled The Light, and we want to connect you with him. You're going to find links at our Facebook page on Facebook. You're just looking for Don and Steve in the morning. You're listening to Moody Radio.